You're listening to Time in the Word. The millennium is the final illustration of the grace of God and man's need for salvation. In this final study about the millennium, Dr. Gonzalez will discuss several of its characteristics and will explain why the earthly kingdom is necessary as he explains the purpose and meaning of the millennial kingdom. Let us listen as Dr. Gonzalez continues his study on end times prophecy. If you've been uh, spending any time with us at all in the last few weeks or even months, you know we've been going through a study in Bible prophecy, a study that we've entitled The the Bible in Tomorrow's Headlines. Uh, I believe we are either uh, three programs away or two programs away from finishing the entire series. Uh, It has been a series that has uh, taken... Uh, 36 or so programs to complete. So it's been a pretty in-depth and uh, um, study of what the Bible has to say uh, about the past and the present and the future in regards to Bible prophecy. A theme that has been very popular probably uh, in most recent years because of the number of events that have occurred around the world and in this case in this country since 9-11. Uh, but we certainly, if we have been following Scripture and we have been reading our Bible and interpreting our Bible in light of what's going on around the world, we have certainly been able to determine that uh, we seem to be moving right at the proper pace in terms of what Scripture says uh, the future is going to be looking like uh, for us now and for the world in, in the near future. We started looking at the millennium two weeks ago. Uh, we've uh, been looking at uh, the different views about the millennium. Last week we looked at, uh, 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 started to look at some of the characteristics of the millennium, particularly what the government was going to look like and who the subjects were going to be and who was going to govern and so on. Uh, we will finish the millennium chapter today. We will look at some, a few more characteristics about the millennium, about what the Bible says it's going to look like. Uh, during the thousand-year uh, reign of Christ. Today we'll look at some, uh, some characteristics uh, about the millennium. First and foremost, it's going to be a spiritual time. Now we know that Christ will literally, physically, come back to the earth for a second time. This will be His second advent. And that at that time, He sets up a kingdom uh, over which He will rule for a thousand years. The subjects of that kingdom uh, will be not only the Old Testament saints and the church uh, 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 individuals who have survived the tribulation period and who have entered uh, the millennium kingdom. Those are believers. Those who rejected Christ during the tribulation uh, have gone into eternal punishment. Uh, And although we know that it's an earthly kingdom, we also have to speak of it in spiritual terms. Uh, It is not necessarily mutually exclusive to talk about uh, earthly and spiritual in the same sentence. If that were so, then Christians today would not be expected to be able to live out their faith since they live uh, in an earthly environment, yet they're expected to live out spiritual realities and spiritual truths. So even though it is earthly, it is also spiritual. Uh, and it'll be a time, uh, and that will be one of the characteristics uh, of the Millennium Kingdom. Uh, 
there will be high standards of spirituality during that time. Also, it will be a reign and time of righteousness. In fact, there are several passages in Scripture that point out that fact. We are told that He will reign in righteousness according to Isaiah 32.1. In fact, we're told that righteousness will be the belt of His loins in uh, Isaiah uh, 11.5. With righteousness He will judge the poor, uh, Isaiah 11.4 and 16.5. Zion will be called the city of righteousness, uh, and only the righteous will enter the kingdom at its inauguration. Um, So it'll be a time that will be characterized by righteousness. It'll also be a time characterized by peace. Now we talk a lot about peace, and perhaps we're able to even define the word peace, But can we ever truly say that the world has ever experienced a time of lasting peace? I don't know. I haven't lived for hundreds of years, but I can tell you that at least in the previous generation and this generation, I don't know that there has been one entire generation that has been able to successfully say they existed on earth in complete peace without there ever occurring something that disturbed that peace. We can define it, we know what it means, and we know uh, what we like about peace, but I don't think we can ever truly say we've experienced it to the degree that the world will experience during that time. Think of this, all things that were former enemies prior to the Millennium Kingdom will no longer be so. Jerusalem will be a place of peace, and the whole earth will will, uh, be at peace. There will be no need for nations to have uh, uh, military budgets and, and uh, budgets that hold up money for their defense since it will be a time where there will be no wars and, and things of the sort that we are so familiar with in this current time and age. It will be a time where the world will experience because King Jesus is ruling over the earth It'll be a time of unprecedented peace on planet Earth in spite of the fact that many of the subjects living uh, or the subjects living in those who have survived the tribulation, the subjects living during the, tribula- uh, during the millennium are still individuals, human beings like you and me with sin nature. Natures. Also, we know that it will be characterized by prosperity. It will be a time of prosperity for the earth. And by that I don't mean that there will be materialism and greed as we know it today. Prosperity in many respects means far more than just that which we can see and touch and claim to own. It has to do with the fact that the world will produce and experience that which it has failed to do so because of the fall of man and the curse placed on the earth uh, as a result. Uh, It'll become productive uh, as wildernesses and deserts uh, become useful uh, and blossom. Uh, One harvest, and if you look at Amos chapter 9 verses 13 and 14, we're told that one harvest will be followed by another. Social needs and injustices 
during this time will be essentially eliminated, Psalm 72, 12, and 13. The curse to which the earth was subjected when Adam sinned will be reversed, though not completely lifted. So during the time of the Millennium Kingdom, uh, much of that which has kept the world from becoming as prosperous as it could have uh, will be reversed, though not completely eliminated. And as we mentioned, I think it was in the previous program, uh, places around the world, particularly in the Middle East, since that's where the government of Christ will be centered, places that were nothing more than deserts, uh, you know, lands where nothing ever grew or was produced will become uh, places where, where, where uh, uh, flowers would blossom and, and of the sort. It will also be a religious time. Now we have to remember a few things during the Millennium Kingdom. Those who survived the Tribulation period and those who entered the Millennium Kingdom uh, that, uh, who were believers and survived the Tribulation, uh, these are human beings who will propagate and will bring forth children who will be born with sinful natures not unlike the children who are born today. But nonetheless, there will, there will be during that time a full knowledge of the Lord. That full knowledge will cover the entire earth during the Millennium Kingdom. Uh, a passage you can look at in reference to that is Isaiah chapter 2 verses 2 through 3. Apparently, from what Scripture seems to indicate in Ezekiel uh, chapters 40 through 48, uh, the sacrificial system will be, or sacrifices will once again be offered in the temple, although there will be changes to that sacrificial system during that time versus the sacrifices that were offered uh, during the days of Moses. The sacrifices uh, offered during that time will be essentially sacrifices in memory of what Christ has already done on behalf of humanity. But we'll look at this a little bit further as, as we move. Uh, so we've looked at a few more characteristics. Again, we said that it'll be a, t a spiritual time, a religious time, a prosperous time, a peaceful time. Uh, what is worship going to look like during the Millennium Kingdom? What is, what is, uh, what is this religious characteristic going to be uh, look like? Well, of course, Christ in His deity will reign um, on the throne of David as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This will be a fulfillment of the Davidic Covenant. Uh, his royal sovereignty, His personal presence on earth and His activities in governing righteously reveal the spiritual climate of the time. Uh, his attributes as God his, his, his will be revealed and evident throughout the earth. Uh, and this will, uh, his sitting on, on, on the throne of David will be the culmination of, of, of this promise that God had made uh, to David. One of the features that we mentioned earlier, and, and I said I would elaborate a little bit more, is the fact that the sacrifice, the, there, there will be a sacrificial system once again, again in place during the Millennium Kingdom. There will be some changes, and there will be some of the Jewish holidays that are currently in existence today will be eliminated uh, for specific reasons, while others will remain in place. But one of the fundamental differences between 
the sacrificial system uh, during, during the times of Moses and the sacrificial system that will be in place in the millennium is what it will point to or the reason for the, the sacrifices. They will essentially uh, look back as a memorial uh, to the death of Christ, not unlike the Lord's Supper today. We celebrate the Lord's Supper today uh, in remembrance uh, of what Christ did for us on the cross. It's a memorial service. We're not, this, during, the, during the millennium kingdom, sacrifices will not offer in order to, uh, for the atonement of sins. That will not be necessary since Christ the King, the Redeemer, the Savior, will have already paid for that and He will be reigning here on earth. Essentially, what the sacrifices will be will be nothing more than memorial services looking back at the death of Christ and the work of Christ uh, on the cross on behalf of humanity. It will be a sacrifice of remembrance, uh, if, if, if we can essentially put it uh, that way. Now, before we, we, we close out this particular chapter and start moving into something different, uh, there's a couple of other things that I wanted to, uh, to mention. For the first time in history, and, and you know, again, we can't, we can't understand what this looks like because we haven't lived in a, in a time where uh, we've experienced this. But during the Millennium Kingdom of Christ, for the first time in world history, the world will experience no war. And there are several passages that I can refer you to, Isaiah 2. 4, Joel 3 verse 10, and Micah chapter 4 verse 3. For a thousand years the world will experience no war. Secondly, the curse upon the earth will be lifted to some degree. Now don't accuse me of saying that it was lifted and it was no longer in place. It will be lifted to some degree though things like physical death will still exist. But some of the curse will be reversed. Uh, so that which was hindered from occurring will now occur because of that lift or that reversal. And thirdly, death will still exist, but think of this. In many respects, people will live healthier, in longer lives as a result of, of, of there being a reversal to an extent of the curse. There will be to some extent freedom from sickness. Sickness will not be eliminated but there will be some freedom uh, or less experience in with sickness. Uh, people will as a result experience longer There'll be more longevity to life. People will live longer than what they are currently living today. In many respects, infants will not die for, the same, for, for some of the reasons that infants die today. In general, listen, it is not the, but in general, the millennium will be a golden age. It'll be the climax, climax of God's dealings with the human race. Now to close this section, again, the purpose and meaning of 
the millennium. Why does there need to be a 1,000 year reign of Christ? Why can't we, as the amillennialists say, why can't we just simply say, listen, when the time is up here on earth, we would, Christ will come, He will judge, and then utter uh, human history into its eternal state. Because, as we said before, God has made promises that He must keep. And we know that God will keep those promises. And many of the promises that He has made will be fulfilled during this 1,000 year reign of Christ. So there's two real reasons, two purposes for the Millennium Kingdom. One, it's the time when God will fulfill His promises that He made to the patriarchs, Abraham and David and so. And secondly, it'll be a time when God visibly, not that He's, a, and, and don't misunderstand me, I'm not saying that God has lost control of the earth and that somehow He needs to get it back from the devil. He's never given up control of the earth. In fact, the devil has never been able to do anything God has not allowed him to do. But what appeared to be as a defeat at the crucifixion of Christ will be in essence redeemed by God taking literally and physically back the earth from the domain of Satan and ruling on it and reversing much of what the earth was cursed with as a result of the fall and, and the work of Satan as the one who rules as a principle in this world system. So we will close this section of, of the prophecy series which dealt with the millennium here. Next week we will look at a, a, a different subject. We only have two more weeks to go uh, in terms of, of, of the prophecy series. We'll look at the eternal state next week. What is it going to look like once the millennium kingdom has ended and the eternal state begins? And then we'll look as the final chapter to the series, the intermediate state. What happens to those who die apart from Christ now, prior to the resurrections, uh, and to their final uh, uh, casting into eternal punishment? And what happens to believers who die now, prior to the eternal state? So we'll look at that as the final chapter in our series of Bible prophecy. Now I do believe I have a few minutes left here, so I want to make some application as to some of the uh, facts and details and information that we've taken from Scripture that has helped us understand a little bit more about what the future is going to look like. And again, the point of application that I want to make is in regards to what this all means to us as individuals. Well, I, I know what it means to me as a Christian. And I know where this all fits uh, in regards to where I am in relation to my relationship with God. But where does it fit with you if you're not in a personal relationship with God? You know, one of the things that have often awed me is the fact that we have in the Bible, we have this book, which we call the Bible, which we believe to be the very Word of God. And we have in detail in this book information regarding us 
our world and the future of our world. And I suppose that if we spend any time considering what it is the Bible has to say about anything, we should consider the implications that those statements have in our lives. I know we live in a time and age where, where we seem to think uh, that we have far more control over things than we actually do. Uh, people seem to think that they have the ability to control their own destinies and the ability to decide what it is that they will and will not do tomorrow. The curious thing to me is that none of us, in spite of the fact that we seem to want to take control of our own life and, and, and create our own destiny, none of us have the assurance of tomorrow because none of us can guarantee ourselves that which we require to be here tomorrow, and that is simply stated, the next breath. Uh, but what does this all mean to us in terms of uh, why, why go through this study of prophecy? Because prophecy has a way of communicating to us who we are uh, in relation to creation and who we are in relation to God and who God is. And it, and it, and it places us where we ought to be as created beings and God where He ought to be as the Creator. And the truth of the matter is that in spite of what the Bible might reveal to us about God, it's very little, and, and that which it does reveal to us, not all can be understood. Some of it we just simply apprehend and not fully comprehend. But we need to make certain of one thing. We can never lose sight of this simple fact. God exists, and if God exists and He's done what the Bible says He's done, the question that begs to be uh, question, uh, asked and the question that begs to be answered is this one. Why, if there is a God and He's done what the Bible says He's done and He is who the Bible claims He is, what implications does that have for me in my life today? And simply stated is that the implications are that God created us for purposes other than the purposes that we think we're alive for. He created us for fellowship with Himself. He created us to be in communion with Him forever. He created us so that we could experience the goodness and mercy and grace uh, 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 of God. And the truth of the matter is that because of our sin and our iniquity, we've been alienated from God. And prophecy has a way of redirecting us back redirecting our focus back to where it needs to be, and that is not on ourselves, but on God. The Bible clearly indicates that one day, and, and I don't know if you think in, 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 in these terms or not, but one day you will come before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and you will make account of the life that you lived and of the choices that you made in that lifetime. And every single day that goes by and you make choices, those choices will determine where you spend eternity. And if you fail to make a choice, at least in your mind, you've made a choice. It's not a failure to make a choice, it's simply the wrong choice.